Hello and welcome to The Fundamentalist, the fandom podcast investigating all aspects of geeky media. Oh, sorry, did I hit my head and wake up in patriarchal bullshit land? Don't put me in charge! It certainly worries me to make self-defeating mistakes out of fear of appearing weak. You were right. We are from different worlds. That is a failing indeed, but I cannot laugh at it. Welcome to the I Disappoint Dad Club. The theme song you just heard is Good Riddance by R. Sonar, available for you on the Free Music Archive. Uh, that's also a great website for a lot of really weird uh, music tracks that you can use for whatever you'd like because it's all Creative Commons. So check it out. You can get lost there. It's almost like it's an archive of music that you can use. Like, and it's free. free. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Kylie, and here with me is Gretchen. Hello. And Julia. Hi, everyone. The three of us write for thefundamentals.com for fundamentally sound fandom analysis. That's our geek culture website, as much as I hate the phrase geek culture. Oh my gosh. (laughs) But check us out for news and reviews. If you also are a fan of the types of work that we do, whether it's our podcasts or our written word, you might want to think about becoming a Fundamentals Plus subscriber. We've got a link right on the fundamentals.com main website but basically for three bucks a month you get exclusive access to editor only like essays and videos i think i might try twitch streaming some 1990 dos game classics this month (laughs) whatever can you mean (laughs) uh that would be carmen san diego of course i thought it would be oregon trail i actually never really played oregon trail um I've got some like really, really good DOS games that I could stream if I really wanted to dig into it. Cause I've got, uh, there's this one game called Gertrude Secrets, which was like the very first game I remember playing. And I'm pretty sure it was developed in like 1988. But anyway, you should consider supporting us too, because that money then goes towards our site and really, really helps us become sustainable in the long term. And truly every subscriber makes a difference. Right. So. Shameless plug, but hopefully the content you get for it is well worth the effort. And also, speaking of Fundamentals Plus subscribers, uh, shout out for this episode to Black Mombach, one of our subscribers. Ooh. Thank you so much. Um, we appreciate your support. It's It really does mean a whole lot to us. It helps us to uh, keep things going. So, woo-woo! And if you subscribe, <laughs> you too can get a shout out on the Fundamentalist because we're so cool. <laughs> Who doesn't want to hear that? I just Who doesn't want to hear us explaining a Game of Thrones episode from season five to Gretchen. Yes, that was our last Fundamentals Plus uh, joint podcast that we did together. Anyway, let's dive into some fandom news because that's what we do on this podcast. But before we do, just to let you know what this episode is today, uh, basically us complaining a bunch. Yeah. But we wanted to talk about representation and the port- importance of... Uh, keeping in mind intersectional identities when providing representation and how that might affect fandom dialogue. Yep. Uh, we've got a fun segment for you, and that being apparently seduction is dead, and we're supposed to be really sad about this. And uh, we might discuss our favorite seduction tropes or examples of seduction in media. And then our final segment is going to be why we are so into foreshadowing instead of shock and awe. Um, and they certainly can go hand in hand, I would say, but I would guess just 
over shock and awe. Right. Right. As storytelling convention, like as dominant storytelling conventions in any particular given piece of media. So. Yep. Yes. Anyway, fandom news. Uh, a lot has happened in the past two weeks. Uh, for one, we've gotten stills from the new Men in Black spinoff with Tessa Thompson and Chris Hemsworth, and it looks really cool. It does. Mm. Yeah. Yes. And apparently Emma Thompson joined the cast, too. I didn't know that. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, Men in I, Black really is a very good concept. It's, <laughs> I really enjoyed the first one. Yeah. So I'm, I'm very much looking forward to... To seeing Tessa Thompson and Chris Hemsworth, and also, I'm going to, you know, it, there's some bisexual panic involved with that because <laughs> they're both beautiful people, and I'm really looking forward to seeing them on screen. Hmm. It's going to be great. He's just like a muscle walking around. I don't know about that, but <laughs> but he's like one who like knits. Yeah, he's very charming in interviews. I'll give him that. He's like if you like, I saw someone make the comparison on Tumblr that Chris Hemsworth is like a viking who knits <laughs> he's like a big burly dude who's just like can be very delicate and gentle <laughs> well he's gotta make fishing nets to catch fish at sea yes and he's a viking he knits he knits socks he would he would understand the importance of knitting socks exactly um, <laughs> so one woman who doesn't plan to just knit by the fire is wonder woman <laughs> i'm so sorry she actually think makes the clothes on that island I'm sure they make yeah. their own. Exactly. And, and as far as we know, Diana is not exactly like scared to be feminine at times. It's yes. like, but I was trying to transition awkwardly into saying Wonder Woman <laughs> 1984, the sequel to Wonder Woman, is going to be more racially diverse uh, than the first because it's going to be starring Insecure's Natasha Rothwell and Ravi Patel. Uh, you have in parentheses Transformers and Master of None. They're That's what he's from. Well. Yeah, he was. Ah, Ravi he Patel was. was. Right. Okay. All right. I've got a face to the name now. Right. Um, so maybe this means that Patty Jenkins, like, heard the criticism of the first being very white? Yep. That's my hope. Like, yeah. it yeah. definitely seems like there's more effort being made to specifically cast characters of color, which I think yeah. is awesome. Yeah. Well... I, I think any of it can be good. I still need to watch the first Wonder Woman. <laughs> really. oh. Seriously? Really? I just don't think I care. I'll, do, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. It's very enjoyable. It is. Okay. All right. I mean, I did like, you know, Spider-Man Homecoming. I have to imagine it's about that level of enjoyability. Um. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. I haven't seen Spider-Man Homecoming, so I can't make the comparison. You should. It's it very was enjoyable. delightful. Yeah. yeah. Um. I I heard one critic. I think it was Jenny Nicholson on YouTube describe it as "Hey Arnold," and that's yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. But like in a delightful kind of way. Um. As a follow up to something we said on our last segment for fandom news with James Gunn's firing, uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy <sighs> cast wrote a letter asking to reinstate him. Uh, Disney is not champing at the bit to do that exactly. And in fact, there's a rumor that they're going to be going with an outside hire outside being just not someone who's currently directing an MCU film. Uh, so get All some right. fresh blood in there. I don't know. <laughs> Ugh. I, I don't know. This whole situation. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I don't even know that I necessarily want James Gunn reinstated or anything. I just I really want to know what a pathway for reform would look like in the public eye. I would also like to avoid setting up a situation where, uh, like, 
alt-right people can just, like, dig through somebody else's past and be like, you said something problematic 15 years ago, Mm -hmm. and then everyone freaks out. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, there is a problem with sort of um, rewarding this bad faith acting. And you can decide that, like, you know what, I don't really care where the source came from. This is still repugnant to me. And why should he, you know, get these opportunities? So that's fine, too. I just think... I think there is a danger that this precedent sets. Yes. So I'm yeah. not exactly personally worried about James Gunn or no. even Guardians of the Galaxy 3. I kind of think those are like beside the point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's interesting to know that the, the main cast was like, you know, really, really uh, upset about this. And Disney does not like uh, when actors flex their muscles usually. So. Speaking of main cast, this isn't actually in our notes, but we have not yet spoken of the casting decisions for the next Star Wars movie. Oh, we have not. Uh, it is in our notes. Yep. Is it? Yep. You jerk. Where? You're skipping. Uh, yeah, so we are talking about Disney. We might as well jump into Disney and Disney decisions that Disney has made. <laughs> <laughs> so J.J. Yep. Abrams, who is back uh, writing and directing episode nine, like he did episode uh, seven before Ryan Johnson came in for eight, has uh, made the announcement that there was enough leftover unused footage of Leia from both episodes seven and eight that instead of recasting her or CGIing her, they're going to just use it. Yep. Good luck. Like, I wish them well. I can't see this ending good. I, <laughs> I honestly... I understand that they're trying to come from a place of being really respectful. And mm-hmm. I think for that reason, CGI was not a good call. Yeah. So like, I'm kind of glad they wrote that off, but like, I'm sorry, you have to recast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you just have to recast. I mean, like you we're talking do. about how like the structure of like the trilogy so far kind of necessitates the next one being Leia's movie. Yep. Yeah. And like, so- if, as a respect to what Carrie Fisher built in this character, finish the story you were going to tell with it. You know, don't just have these weird bad libs spliced in from other footage. I mean, I don't know how comprehensive that other footage is. Maybe, yeah. like... Maybe there were, like, crazy. entire, like, plot lines that they didn't end up putting on or something. I don't know. I just kind of like the idea of Leia in episode 9 just muttering these weird non-sequiturs <laughs> and everyone around her being like, oh, God, the war's really getting to her. <laughs> don't worry about it. And then I'm, like, waiting to see, like, really bad green screening... Because she'll be, like, stuck onto a background she's clearly not in, you know? <laughs> See, my my question is whether or not they will be using the unused footage as part of the current timeline, or if they're just going to show a lot of flashbacks. But that she, one, is, like, because then in that case, they would have to kill her. They or have, to kill have the her off screen for reasons. In the final movie of a trilogy. Like... I kind of hope they, like, run out of footage a little bit so they have to dig into some of Carrie Fisher's, like, interview reels. (laughs) Some of her (laughs) stand-up. Yeah. She's, like, like, talking about how her father ran off Elizabeth Taylor all of a sudden. Because my my initial reaction was that since a huge part of the end of The Last Jedi is that they don't have any – or, like, that their allies didn't respond – and that a part of – my instinct is to say a part of episode nine is going to be like – Leia yelling at all the allies until they respond. Like trying to get trying to get allies, mm. which is where I think someone like Lando comes in um, as a potential ally for the resistance. And if 
And if Leia is, like, on a mission to, like, go find allies, then you can use, like, flashback footage of her, like, preparing the resistance and, like, planning everything. And you could potentially – like, it's, it's not – the best option. I still it's think really recasting good. was the best option. Um, but I could see it potentially working without being super weird as long as it was clear that the – like as long as they're not trying to splice in old footage into the current timeline, I think it could work. In terms of giving Leia a presence on screen that continues and potentially even a role in leadership because we all – like some of the scenes – there are scenes that we know of from – at least from episode from The Force Awakens, where she's like interacting with Ray, interacting with um, you know, certain other characters who are still like ongoing. So you could still have like I don't know. I don't think it's the best option, but I don't think it has to be weird, and I don't think it has to be like splicing into the current timeline or weird green screen. I think there is a way that they could like include her as part of the story. I um, like I said, good luck to them. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm not going to be super hopeful, but maybe you're right, and that would be nice. Uh, also, Mark Hamill has been confirmed that he is reprising his role. I'm assuming as a Force ghost, which is not shocking. Nope. Uh, I believe uh, Julia mentioned, but Lando Billy D Williams is going to be coming back. Yeah, uh, I don't know why, but I guess maybe <laughs> he's an ally that returns. So, okay. Maybe he'll be Carrie Fisher's body double. And then there's also uh, three new people to the cast. Naomi Aki, Carrie Russell, and Ooh. Richard E. Grant are oh. confirmed. Yep. Okay. Yep. I have yeah. I have my questions about whether or not Naomi Aki might be Lando's daughter. That's my Is that based entirely on theory. the fact that they're both black? No. <laughs> I think no? that it's I think it's potentially like an interesting role that she could play. Like we know mm-hmm. that Lando has a long-term partner from the extended canon. Mm-hmm. Um and so there's like there's narrative space for that without it being shoehorned in. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. I just read the next bullet point and my mind like short-circuited. Can we jump onto another Disney piece? <laughs> right. But, but you don't like this to- live action trend? But we do need to come back to the one we skipped at some point. Okay. How about how about if you tell us that one because my mind is just okay. <laughs> so um, Rick Famuyiwas is set to produce a live action Disney movie called Sade, and it is based on a fairy tale about an African princess named Sade. Who uh, the description is when her kingdom is threatened by a mysterious evil force, except her newly discovered magical warrior powers to protect herself and her people. With the help of the kingdom's prince, Sade embarks on an adventure that will allow her to embrace what makes her special and save the kingdom. And I'm I'm pretty excited about This sounds like an animated Disney movie more than a live action one, but it sounds like Zelda. Live action, so um I that's think that's cool. yeah, it's exciting to see them actually making uh we, we need a Disney princess who's actually a dutiful princess, so I am happy right. with this. Yes, this sounds like a dutiful princess one, and it sounds right? great. And yeah. also we need more stories that are not white. Okay, speaking of white stories and live action. <laughs> right? I didn't know this was a thing. Justin Thoreau is confirmed for a live action Lady of the Tramp? Right? Okay. Is he going to be the fucking accordion player? Like, what is this? <laughs> well, he maybe he's a voice actor. For one of the live I'm action I'm sorry, but dogs. live action talking dog movies, no, never work. Nope. Did you see live action um, 101 Dalmatians, Julia? With Glenn Close? I believe I watched it on a plane without paying attention. <laughs> I don't I just don't understand. I don't understand. I, just, I, I don't I, like stories about little boys and their dogs. Kiersey Clements is in Talks to Join as well? Yep. Okay. <laughs> I don't understand. Like, this is another one of those, like, 
who asked for this? Like, I understand that they <laughs> want to make live action versions of literally everything they've ever made, except for probably like Song of the South and some of the other horrible ones that they've done. Song of the South kind of was live action. Um, right, but it, I mean, they could do CGI instead of like 2D animation. Um, but just like, but are there really people clamoring for like a updated I Lady in the Tramp? Oliver and Company. Can they just do a fucking the real? Down like, under. They really should only be doing live actions for stuff that has just aged that horribly. Well, I guess they are doing live action Dumbo, but that's like I just don't know a ton of people interested in that one. But I meant nope. more like black cauldron like ones that they just shit the bed on so badly that like yeah let's give this one another chance right not lady in the tramp who wants lady in the tramp i don't know (laughs) but it's a thing that they're doing i can't wait to see what padding they put in this movie to make it like you know the two hour acceptable live action runtime it's probably gonna be a human plot there's probably going to be a subplot about, like, I don't know, someone's dad dying and giving them a task or something. No, no. Jim Deere and Darling are going to, like, have They'll have a gay adventures. dog friend, though. They'll probably have a gay dog friend. Like, but we'll only find out he's gay, like, afterwards. Yeah, right. Maleficent was clever because it was a reimagining. Yes. Everything that they've done since then just seems terrible. Like, mm-hmm. I don't just want to see a live version of what, you're de- of what I already see. Yep. I'm of the same opinion. <sighs> All right. Stranger Things Season 3. There's no transition. Stranger Things Season 3 is delayed until summer 2019. Oh, just I guess. like Game of Thrones. Yep. How sad. Yep. I, I just want to make sure we have enough time for our Game of Thrones rewatch, so that's definitely not bad news. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Uh, new Terminator has lots of ladies, As apparently. Yep. Uh, N- Natalia Reyes, Mackenzie Davis, and Linza- Linda Hamilton are going to be in the new Terminator. Who is this Linda Hamilton of which <laughs> Linda Hamilton? Linda Hamilton? You said her name funny, so you did. Making fun of you. I did. I was okay. Whatever. I was <laughs> reading off a list. Shut up. I love you, Linda Hamilton. <laughs> so. You know, fucking Sarah Connor. All right. Yeah. Um, and then uh, oh, and to close off fandom news. Speaking of who asked for this, there's going to be an Alf reboot. Yep. Sure. Alf? Will there still be a puppet? I don't uh, know. I don't. No, I want. I want fully CGI Alf. It's just, I don't. Be a little expensive uh, for TV, dear. I well, don't understand. I Especially if it's gonna be like a fucking sitcom. Oh my god. All right. Sure, well, why not? Ridiculous. All right, well, that <laughs> ends our fandom news segment. That was great. And There's we like no out. way to transition from Elf to talking about like intersectionality and representation. <laughs> what a dog. So, yeah, I have a bit of a bone to pick right now with uh, a certain uh, television show and especially the reaction from fans about this certain television show. It is a television show I enjoy. I really enjoy. It is a television show I review. Um, and that show is Winona Earp. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... What happened this year is that Dolls, Xavier Dolls, who is was one of the original primary characters in the first season. He was Winona Earp's first love interest. Um, he is played by a black actor and he was killed off um, the, in episode two. So not the most recent episode, but the episode before uh, in a very uh, sudden 
and not well set up manner. Um, the writing of that episode was sloppy. The pacing was poor. It was very poorly telegraphed. Um, the premiere had like no foreshadowing. And then like one thing was said about like dolls is having problems with his serum and he's having side effects from the drugs. And then we go from like dolls is having side effects to the drugs to like dolls dies. Like, Oh, killed a bad guy. And he has a seizure because of some kind of, Right? Like medical interaction thing that he didn't anticipate. Right. Somehow just like he was med he was like experimented on, so he's like part dragon. Of course. Um, and he like if he taps into that dragon side it can cause problems, which we've seen in the past. But like he went he just like tapped into being dragon like he'd never died before. <laughs> um and he like tapped into his dragon side and killed like a demon and then died himself and it was very sudden, very sudden, and yeah, that I, sounds really bad. <laughs> it was very, like, and why don't Earp is is generally a very tightly written show. Like there are, yeah, like, there might be one other episode that I thought was poorly done in in its two seasons, and this was one of two. Is now one that was one now one of two episodes that I'm just like this was really sloppy, um, and the. Uh, there were those of us, like myself, who were very frustrated and said, um, you know, this – and Winona Earp as a show is not always done very well with uh, – it's a very white show, very white, mm-hmm. and has not always done very well with the depiction of characters of color in the past. And some of us have pointed that out. And uh, only to be told that we're just making too big of a deal out of everything and the show is really good and – has anyone, like, said that there aren't very many black people in the middle of Montana or wherever? I don't think I've seen that yet. Um, <laughs> I think they're in Canada. But, yeah. Or are they, re- I, I know they're filming Canada. Yeah. The response has been very frustrating because uh, if nothing else were different about this whole situation and the person who had been killed off was Nicole Hot. Mm-hmm. There would be a significantly different reaction. Like, oh, of course. Like the reaction would have been horrified. People would have been horrified and angry and screaming and yelling. And we wouldn't have the like, well, but like Shamir Anderson said he wanted out. So it's fine. Um, he said he wanted dolls to die a heroic death. So and he did. So it doesn't matter that like the setup was poor and it was felt really rushed. And... Like, all of the justification for the show would not exist if the person who had been killed off was, like, the white lesbian. So right. it, it is very, very frustrating to me that, like... And, and like, to that point, also, you know, people of color being killed off on TV shows is just as deep-seated a trope yes. as any barrier game. I mean, like, like, that's... People laugh about how the black guy always dies first in action movies, right? Yep. Right, exactly. Yep. So... Because even yeah. I've had several people – when I posted my review, I intentionally didn't put spoilers in the title. All I said was that Winona Earp lost a character. And I had several people tell me, as soon as I saw the title of review of your review, my thought was, I hope it's not dolls. Like literally right. – like so many people could kind of see his death coming precisely because he's a black male character. Right. And so when he's killed off, it's like, oh, right, yeah. Especially because he's part of a love triangle – like Winona has two love interests and they're Doc and Dolls. And so a lot of the there's a big chunk of frustration that's like, oh right, yeah, you kill off the black male love interest. 
and leave her with the white guy. Right. Sure. Of course. Um, and I don't think it was – I don't think that – I'm not sure that was intentional, but it certainly yeah. doesn't look good that like – in yeah. Agent Carter, she had a left triangle with a white guy and a black guy, and she ended up with a white guy because she randomly chose him because the season was over. Right. Right. I've and never that- really read into that before, but maybe it is part of the pattern. <laughs> right. Or even, like, I'm probably – don't at me, folks. I know people are going to be <laughs> mad at me for this. But, like, even with Ray in Star Wars, like, the yeah. the number of people who prefer um, Kylo over Finn, like – there's a I would, level. like Kylo is like deep and damaged, Gretchen. I don't care. Um <laughs> She can save him. He can go fuck himself. Um <laughs> he can save his own goddamn self and she can be happy with a person who actually cares about her and loves her and whatever. Anyway. Who we um, haven't met yet. <laughs> um Yeah, it's just it's and this is why to me I wanted to have this conversation about intersectionality and representation. Because because what this shows to me or what it when i see this kind of conversation happening when people are are very willing to justify the death of a black male character when if it were a character of a different marginalization they would be up in arms is that there is a d- degree to which some people only care about their own representation and that is at some level understandable, but I think that as marginalized folks, like we need to actually also care about the representation of other marginalized folks who don't share our identity. Like we can't just care about like white sapphic characters if we are white and sapphic. Like we have to also care about the depiction of black characters or neurodiverse characters or disabled characters because like it's because it's really shitty to just be like, well, but, like, they didn't kill off my favorite character. So, like, the show is still objectively a good show that's doing a good job and doing good things. And we can't criticize them for the way that they handled this character who's not my marginalization. Like, and I still love Winona – I still really enjoy Winona Earp. I do. I just also think that it's a show that needs to really – like, the people need to really sit down and have a long, hard conversation about the way they write characters of color. Like, yes, I I definitely agree with that. I also wanted to back up just slightly um, because we use the term intersectional a lot on this podcast. And I just want to very quickly talk about what is meant by that. Hopefully most of our listeners know this. Um, But I don't know if everyone has like watched Kimberly Crenshaw's like interviews or TED Talks and stuff like that on the topic. Uh, Basically, intersectional feminism was a theory. I'm pretty sure Kimberly Crenshaw wrote like the first paper on it in the 80s, something like that. Um, And she is a black professor. And what it is, is that the way that we talk about discrimination or imagine discrimination and disempowerment is really complicated when there's people who are basically experiencing multiple forms of exclusion, right? Mm. So, you know, if you are a queer woman, you know, you face marginalization in the patriarchy as a result of sexism. And then as a queer woman, as a result of heterosexism, right? And there's different ways that, that that might happen. And basically what intersectionality does, it's an approach, it's an angle. And this is to quote Kimberly uh, Crenshaw too, because I think she's the best at explaining it, is that, quote, we might have to broaden our scope and how we think about where women are vulnerable because different things make different women vulnerable. Mm. I, I think that like the other side of that coin is that like, 
when you are marginalized in a particular way, you also have to acknowledge that there are other ways in which you are privileged. Yes, right. Exactly. And and basically, it's just a lens that makes you understand, you know, the different identities that you have, the different components of what makes you you, and the way that intersects, literally, it's, <laughs> it's intersection of power structures and of different things coming together creates unique experiences. So a black woman experiences life differently than a white woman, a black queer woman experiences life a lot differently than a white straight woman, or even a white queer woman. It's there's very you know, different aspects of this, I guess is what I'm saying. And she's so, also right. a unique snowflake. Right. So that makes in, it even the, more complicated. <laughs> in the case of median representation for a very long time, both LGBT characters and, you know, characters of color have been considered expendable, where yeah. they're the ones that will die, like in horror films or, you know, like you were saying, they're the ones who die first. Mm-hmm. In a show like Winona Earp, where, as you were saying, there's a lot of really, really good representation for certain backgrounds right. and certain identities, I guess. With others, it seems like that's really not up to stuff. Right, yeah. Winona Earp has done... I mean, I will. they have done a really good job with Way Hot. Like, I think overall they do a really great job with that. Um, and that's something that I will celebrate them for and say and praise the, the writers for their depiction of, um, a queer female couple. I think that's great and awesome. And at the same time, that doesn't just like a good, being able to write good representation in one area doesn't mean, um, A, that they're good writers in other areas of representation or B, that, that, that what they do well shields them from criticism for what they don't do well. And that is my current, that is my frustration, um, with the way I see certain aspects of like fan culture reacting mm-hmm. to media right now is that it is unwilling to think of those two things or doesn't want to engage with the idea that like just because what Whitona Earp writes really, really good, um, you know, white queer representation, that that means that we shouldn't be able to like engage critically with the fact that it has not written like characters of color very well consistently Absolutely. like especially because this is a pattern throughout all three seasons of the show that it has not written characters of color well or given them the amount of space or screen time that they should have especially on it to me to my mind especially on a show where the showrunner um expresses her desire to do representation well mm-hmm. absolutely yeah. i mean do you have reason to doubt like good faith in that area or? i'm not i don't know um there are just some there are, there are just some concerning trends yeah. on the show i'm not sure that it's bad faith but i to my mind it so I'm not saying this is what's going on for those of you who are listening. This is my impression. My impression is a lot of effort goes into certain facets of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, one being the, the way they're handling the queer, the queer characters. Um, and two, um, Winona's like inner life. Like those are the big two things that I think the show does really well. And to my mind, I think you can tell that that's where all the energy is going, which are not bad places to put energy. I'm not saying they're bad places to put a lot of writing energy because it's called Winona Earp. Winona Earp is the main character. Um, and, you know, Emily Andrus, I think, does really care about Way Hot being done well. Um, but like to my mind, it does feel very much like 
the vast majority of the writing energy is going towards those two things. And then anything else that's after that is kind of like, oh, right. Yeah, we have to do that too. Um, and so that does mean that like not a lot of energy is being put towards like, oh, hey, maybe we shouldn't make, you know, um, the only remaining like male character of color, like the comedy relief. Maybe we shouldn't, you know, just bring in a new character of color to act as a love interest for the Winona Doc love triangle and you know like when who also happens to like take the place of a a female character of color who was doc's love interest last season so it feels like kate is is doing double duty is like oh right we need doc needs a a love interest of color and also we need like a a black character to exist in this love triangle i'm not saying that's what they're doing but just feel that way because because it doesn't feel like a lot of energy or thought is being put into like the implications for writing the characters this way it, it sounds like a blind spot. Yeah. And the best way to correct bi- blind spots are to diversify your writer's room yes. and ensure that there's voices being, you know, leveraged, especially if you have a character. If you have a black character, you should probably have a black writer or like a black friend to read over your scripts, you know, <laughs> right. something. Right. Uh, so I guess in a um, example of, hmm, isn't that interesting? I wanted to bring up my own uh, grievances. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> with uh, being intersectional about representation in that approach, which is, uh, so I love Black Lightning. I think it's a wonderful show. It's a show that is very, very much about like Black life in America mm-hmm. and issues uh, surrounding racism and uh, sort of like police brutality, how, police and- brutality, and, and like responsibility to your community versus right. you know being left behind by the system all that it's a wonderful wonderful show uh one of the characters on black lightning i will call her the deuteragonist very loosely like i think that's fair right she's about a deuteragonist right yeah maybe uh is anissa pierce and she is a lesbian and she is bulletproof and she is black uh all and, good three things to be i guess yeah and she <laughs> has a love interest that wasn't super developed uh in the first season that's fine that's just not the story they're telling uh but it came out that you know this lesbian character was going to be on this tv show and immediately the uh fan the femme slash fandom called for a boycott of black lightning because the cw couldn't be trusted to handle lesbian characters very well. And this was aligning with uh, Supergirl and I believe the bullshit that had happened at Comic-Con with the Supergirl cast making fun of yeah. the femme community. Yep. As well as uh, Sanvers was clearly on a trajectory to break up. Yep. So that's that's where that mentality was coming from. That, C- that the CW, you know, the monolithic CW network... <laughs> <laughs> couldn't be trusted to have queer characters at all. Uh, so even though Black Lightning, which was specifically separate from Arrowverse and Berlanti, they were just like, yeah, we're going to do our own thing. Uh, there was, there's a call to boycott and there's really no reason for it. And this was scripted wonderfully. She's a fantastic character. Uh, she's not in an active romance. So maybe that's why people don't give a shit too. Mm-hmm. Anyway, fast forward. I don't know, a year. And there is an announcement that there is going to be a crossover event in December in the Arrowverse. So the Arrowverse, like the universe that Supergirl is in. Right. The same production company, you know, with Supergirl. Berlanti, basically. 
there's going to be a crossover in December featuring Batwoman. And oh my god, this crossover is actually being used as a springboard for a potential Batwoman TV show. We've talked about this on The Fundamentalist. Suddenly, there's absolutely no calls to boycott Batwoman. Isn't that interesting? And there's people getting so excited about this. There's fan casts. The CW announced that they would prefer a lesbian actress. So people are like imagining fucking Ruby Rose playing Batwoman and all this. So not only is there an embrace of Batwoman, isn't that interesting, but there's absolutely no thought being put to the fact that Kate Kane is Jewish no one seems to care about that. The fan cast don't represent it at, at all. And, you know, the CW can't be like, yeah, we want a Jew because that's kind of just opening them up to lawsuits. But like the fandom could be saying we would prefer this and, and really no one gives a shit. It has. Right. There, it's, it, it hasn't really even come up in the descriptions of Batwoman as a TV yeah. show, as her as a character. No one is saying like, oh, yay, we finally get a Jewish lesbian yeah. on screen. No, it's just literally like, a lesbian on screen and people are casting like, I saw this one gift set that had, um, fuck, who plays Carmilla? Nat, uh. Oh, yeah. Because she's pan in real life or something so she's gonna be kate kane that i saw a, a gift set of that and it's just like really <laughs> like do you give that few of shits about how transparent you're being right no one seems to care about what feels very much like jewish erasure yeah i mean i'm not really worried that kate's gonna end up not being jewish i guess that's a double negative well, only I, like I you know that during the christmas episode right right i I have a feeling she'll be jewish but she's going to be jewish in the same way fucking felicity on fucking arrow is (laughs) or francine and arthur she'll be like don't call it a christmas party call it a holiday party (laughs) like that's what i say to my goys right i mean just to play devil's advocate a bit maybe they're not concerned about the cw fucking up her lesbian aspectness because black lightning did it so well (laughs) They don't watch Black Lightning. That's yeah, yeah. The people that I see, like, and and I'm not trying. I'm. This is not a matter of judgment. This is literally like on my dashboard. The people that I see talking about Batwoman never were people who talked about Black Lightning. Never. Yeah. Like not this once. is just like I know from the people I'm interacting with on my Tumblr dashboard that everyone that I see like. Almost every other day now, there's something about Batwoman. Yeah, I mean, like the these thing were about- people who are not talking about Anissa Pierce, who is like already on our screens. We have a full season's worth of like gifts <laughs> and screen caps or whatever that we could use if people really wanted to, and no one's doing anything with it. I like, the thing about like being Jewish part of that's because is that race was like gone the whole season. I w- I wonder if it's an active romance if that would help, but probably not. Like, like the thing about like being Jewish is that like a lot of the time you can ignore the fact that a character is Jewish, you, the way that you you can't ignore the fact that a character is black, right? Like, it's by a lot- you you mean like the fandom? Yeah, exactly. Oh. Like, because like it's, it's a I, lot I easier really... to erase somebody being Jewish than it is somebody to erase somebody being black because people don't necessarily look Jewish, they don't necessarily act very Jewish, but like when somebody's black, it's kind of hard not to notice, right? So, like, well. 
Yeah, but like I think if anything, that's why it's even more important to yeah. have to be to be perfectly agree. honest. By the way, like I don't give a shit if a Jew or a non-Jew plays her. I it, for me, it's all about the writing. Mm-hmm. Like that's right. that's one hundred percent how I feel about it. You know, Jennifer Aniston played a wonderful Jew on Friends. She just wasn't ever called one. Um, but <laughs> like, I, I think that's why it's actually more important to have a Jew in the writing room like writing Jewish characters because you're right in that people do ignore it. But like, I don't, I don't stop being Jewish, you know, when it's not the holiday season, Mm -hmm. like I am very cognizant of my Jewishness every day because the world kind of reminds you of the people who meet you when you're walking down the street. They're not necessarily as cognizant of it in the same way that they would have been if you were a black person walking down the street. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, because so like you know when you're yeah. making gift sets of batwoman you can easily ignore the fact that she's a jewish character mm-hmm. right if but that's you don't shitty. want to focus on that <laughs> that's what I'm right. shitty but right. it just i don't know i guess it's right. easier to be to be a yeah, man well, I mean, it's, it's like the same with that everyone just ignores that bisexual <laughs> everyone ignores bisexual characters are bisexual they mm-hmm. just either say that they're gay or straight depending on the relationship they're in like that's right. just how it is um so erasure is its own kind of issue like it's obviously safer to be walking down the streets as a white jewish person than i mean we have black jews and jews of color like that's that's another thing yeah because like the casting call is open ethnicity but that still doesn't preclude kate kane from being jewish right right because i mean jews settled all over the world yeah and and people can be any stuff too yeah Mm -hmm. like there's plenty of jews of color that's not that's (laughs) not like a weird thing um but yeah, you you are right in that it wouldn't be a focus at all yeah. <laughs> for right. anyone. But that's that's what makes me even more annoyed about everything. I mean, yeah, right. like I, I think we're like the only group of people who are obsessed with the fact that Kate Kane is Jewish and how they accidentally made Batman Jewish. <laughs> so <laughs> I love that they made Batman Jewish. It gives me so much pleasure that that Batman is canonically Jewish. Well, he's always asking questions. Yeah, that's <laughs> great. Oh man! The next uh, tech just opens. Why is tonight different from all the nights? What? <clears throat> one one final thing that I think is important to, to mention about intersectionality, and and I'm currently uh uh annoyed with right now is um is Supergirl. Speaking of Berlanti, um and the Arrowverse, and yeah, so Supergirl um did some made a really awesome decision and i'm very very happy that they did and they cast the trans actor nicole mains to play a trans superhero called dreamer um which i think is great and i'm very excited that's excellent that they are having like the first trans superhero on television um because it's very easy to cast like a trans character as a like either like a sidekick or a non-super or just like a friend Yeah, totally when they initially announced that they were going to have a trans character, that was actually my thought was like, oh, like they're going to have like a Kara's Kara- co-journalist. Right. Exactly. Is going to be is going to be trans. So yeah. I think it's great. And so I'm not saying this is a bad thing. I think it's awesome. At the same time, uh, as casting this this trans actor who is white, they cast a biracial actor, um, Rona Mitra, who is uh, half Indian mm-hmm. to play a female villain named Mercy Graves, who will be leading a human first, what reads on paper as a very thinly veiled, like, Trumpish anti-alien movement. 
And the reason this frustrates me is what like the fuck? It, this is north and south all over again. <laughs> right. Like Winona Earp, Supergirl does not have a very good track record with characters of color, especially female characters of color. Can we also this- not have the female character female of color? I'm sorry. Can we also not have the woman of color? That they just cast being the mouthpiece for the anti-immigration. <laughs> right. Well, this was a problem in season one. Remember, there was like the yes. senator, the oh senator in God, season right. one, who like turns out was like an alien, was was like a white Martian. But still, same problem. And Supergirl got criticism for that, for casting a woman of color in a role that's like thinly veiled, like anti-immigration, like Trumpish like philosophy that's just a bad idea to cast someone who like probably belongs in one of the most marginalized categories like as the face of white supremacy is liter is what and that's they're doing it again (laughs) again three seasons later they're casting a non-white woman to like lead what reads like a white suprem like a thinly veiled yeah. like analogy for white supremacy in and, the United and what's States. great is that this is obviously them just doing the plot line that they forgot to finish in season two because <laughs> right. they had this set up and then they're like you know what story is better monel and not all slavers <laughs> like what and and ah, they did have a woman playing like as the face of that but like it's gonna sound weird to say it. At least it was a white woman. No, I mean, I which agree makes with that. more, which makes more sense. Well, honestly, fifty three percent of white women voted for Trump. Right. Like, like and like white feminism is a problem. The yes. kind of feminism that like only values white women and does not care about people Super, of color Supergirl or immigrants. Has no fucking idea what they're doing on race. Remember when they had um, Maggie Sawyer, quote unquote, dad, be like, "Our speaker is building a wall, so therefore." You're going to know suffering in the world, and that's why I have to cut you out of my life and be an asshole to oh you gosh. because I hate that we're suffering. Yeah. They're t- it's, what? Oh. You're going to have to explain this show to me one day. Yeah, maybe that will be our next <laughs> Fundamentals Plus that, that we do. Gretchen and I just try to explain <laughs> Maggie Sawyer to you. Not Maggie Gretchen Sawyer, this entire show. Try to explain Supergirl. Oh, um, my God. Yeah, when the- that news was announced, I just, like, ugh. It's frustrating. It's, it's very really frustrating. frustrating. I'm going to close it on one final frustrating note, um, which is that I was there, – there's someone tweeting that like, um, oh, wouldn't it be nice if, you know, a Jewish actress was actually played to play Kate Kane? And someone else was like, come on. You can't have everything because, you know, they're already looking for a queer actress. So according to the internet, there is no such thing as a redheaded queer Jewish woman – ever aren't aren't you a redheaded thanks for explaining the joke Gretchen (laughs) funny you must say that yeah I'm just sitting here like um hi I have blue eyes not green so therefore I can't play Kate Kane also I don't know why people are like fan casting redheaded actresses because wigs exist but whatever also hair dye I mean she canonically wears a wig right Yeah, so, so, but I just thought it was funny whatever. because according to the internet, like, because there was then a tweet that was like, it's kind of like you can only have two out of three. Like, oh, mm. oh, okay. Right. So, yep, that's, that's the final note. Oh my gosh. We are, we are, we are asking too much to have a, a queer Jewish woman. <laughs> Those three things, I'm sorry. Those three things just don't exist together. Yeah, it's really rare. So rare. 
Also, also, also Willow. We are going to now awkwardly transition into our fun segment. Not that uh, talking about shitty representation implications isn't fun. But (laughs) if nothing else, just can people have like a sensitivity reader, please? Mm. Especially when they have big fucking TV shows. Yes, please. Millions of dollars. Yeah. And you you can criticize things you enjoy. Yeah. It's fine. All right, that takes us to our fun segment. Okay, we are literally walking down memory lane, and this isn't helping us. A few days ago, I was reading this book about Sweden, as one does. And the author kind of had this, like, panic, because there's a remarkable amount of gender equality in Sweden, apparently. And this has led to things like shock... Men don't open the doors for women. And like, there's this really high divorce rate, but also a really high rate of like amicable co-parenting. And (laughs) there's like, just like talking about how like Swedish men are completely emasculated by the fact that they can't seduce women because like relationships are so cold and transactional and they like talk to each other instead. What? And like, <laughs> and just like, why is seduction a good thing? First of all, and why am I supposed to be sad it's dead? Because last How? time, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but seduction is really another way of saying tricking someone into having sex with you, right? No. That sounds like what they're saying. Seduction means seduction sounds from. It sounds like they are interpreting seduction to mean coercion. Yeah. No, I but just like you seduce, you seduce a woman by buying her dinner and then she has to have sex with you, right? But if she's a Swedish woman who like makes her own money and you cut the check, then why should she have sex with you? Oh my gosh, seduction is dead. <laughs> I mean, is that the reason seduction is dead? I, this is not the direction I thought your grievance was going to go. I thought you were saying like a lot of guys are complaining because of Me Too that they can't, like, like, a well, that too. I mean, I think this book was because written before of Me Too, me too he's but like, it's the same phenomenon, right? Just yeah, like, it's like men can't flirt anymore. Yeah, like men, like men can't put women in positions where they feel obligated to have sex. Therefore, seduction is dead. <laughs> like, because <sighs> yeah, like when you think about like what seduction means in like a Jane Austen movie. It means yeah. that some cad has tricked some very silly young girl into having sex with her, and then he abandons just having sex with him, and then he abandons her, right? Right, Wickham and Georgiana. Yeah, and and then like everybody runs around going, "You may tell me, young lady, who was your seducer?" And like, <laughs> and you end up in a situation where like all men are horrible monsters who just want to have sex, and all women are just stupid and have no agency. And See, why now, am I sad? Now- this is dead. Right, because like now that women have agency, men can't trick them into. Right, which is, like that's such a weird definition of seduction because I. How would like, you define I, seduction? Well, I think you. That that sounds to me like a like a male perspective on what seduction is. Well, what's weird to me is that like all the seductresses in TV and media are one hundred percent women, and they're bad. Like. And they're bad. Oh, no, no. There's, like, heroic seductress. Like, um, Marjorie Terrell is, like, a heroic seductress. I suppose seductress, so, but her, right? like, her, her, her sexuality is still demonized. Like, just, like, when you have a female seductress, right, what she does is that she exploits the fact that men are horribly weak and can't control themselves when they see boobs. And they use mm-hmm. that to manipulate him in some way. 
Mel. Oh my god. <laughs> Why is Game of Thrones a field day for everything? Well, like, Marjorie did the exact same thing in season five, right? Like, all of a sudden she's queen, but she has no actual power. The only way she can exercise that power is to, like, yell at a 12-year-old she's having sex with. I am seriously racking my brains <laughs> to think of male seduction in media, and the only example I'm remembering is in an episode of Community, where they're playing Dungeons & Dragons. <laughs> Annie is role-playing as a character called Hector the Well-Endowed, and she and she seduces an elf maiden with very explicit sexual acts. Yeah, but like when when you like uh, Gretchen, what do you think seduction is? Because you still haven't said. I I think that is a way to define seduction. Okay. I think that it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. I think that is a very common way to define seduction. But so what's like I see because like I'm thinking of like romance novels. Okay. Where, like, it isn't as if the female protagonist is uninterested or saying no. Like, where there is a kind of, there's consent implied, but like, it's like a slow burn. I don't know. Where it's not, where it's not like different from like just romance. Because, like, what men are so afraid of is the fact that, like, you have to talk to a woman first, but what apparently men are so afraid of. So you have to talk to a woman first and establish the fact that you're interested in each other. And then, like, well, you can start doing romantic things because you have consent, right? <laughs> you can't see my right. quotes. Um, and, that, and that was why I said it sounds like a male definition yeah. of seduction. So, like, especially, especially like a male power, like patriarchal definition of seduction. Well, because I, I think that there's some kind of, like, in, implied, not like coercion, but, like, you have to be changing somebody's mind in order to, in, to seduce them, Right. Do you have to be changing their mind or is, is well, James you Bond don't a have seductress? To change mind, you can just like talk to them. <laughs> yeah, like it, James Bond seduces women, right? Like that's seduction. He usually wants something from them. Because they're usually sex. like Russian spies and stuff. <laughs> no, they're usually just the Bond girl and he wants sex from them. But he seduces them by like existing around them for a certain amount of time. <laughs> like honestly. Because the woman he gets halfway through the movie is usually bad. But then the movie he en- like he ends the movie with the good one. So like he seduced Doctor Christmas Jones by uh-huh. like disarming a nuclear weapon with her. And I he think that's seduced like, she just Holly had this really stressful adventure, and she just wanted to fuck at the end. Right, like he and Holly Goodhead. I'm pretty sure were just like fucking it out after they like saved everyone in space. Yeah. So <laughs> I thought of a male seductress, by the way, in Game of Thrones. Oh yes, Oliver. <laughs> I think. Well, you know, he wanted. Uh, like, because, you know, Loris is so weak because he's a man, even though he's a gay man, that all he needs is, like, you know, some hot young thing and he'll spill all his family secrets. So, like, Oliver seduced him because he wanted something from him and not just sex. Is Joey from Friends a seductress? I think he's just, like, a little slutty. Mm. But th- this particular definition of seductress is just being, like, whining and dining a woman so she's impressed with your wealth. Yeah. Like, if that's your only way of seducing someone, then your game sucks. But you can't do that if, like, a woman makes money. And the social expectation is that you, like, split the check. Yeah, you you just might need to find another way to seem appealing. Right, see, <laughs> to my mind, I've been, I've been thinking about what you said, Julia, about mm-hmm. the implication of changing someone's mind. Um, I do think it is possible for seduction to not necessarily change someone's mind as long as both people are aware of what's going on. Like I'm thinking of like I mean what you're um, what you're describing sounds just like, you know, like two people like 
whose relationship slowly changes. Well, no, like, okay, so. Like, Kor and Asami. Like, who was seduced who in Kor and like. Well, Asami was the one flipping her hair. No, but I mean, in a situation where, like, someone is purposefully playing coy. Yeah. And someone, like, if if it is an established game or pattern in two people's relationship, and both people are aware of what's going on, I think there's a way for seduction to be... Are you, like, equating flirting and seduction? Are those the same thing? Well, the Swedish Not necessarily. Did. Like, see, I think that it can be. I think flirting can be seductive. I don't think it inherently is, but I think it can be. The Phantom of the Opera sings about seduction a lot. Like, that's seduction. Yeah, that relationship is healthy. Um, we should definitely... I, I, think, I think my issue is that the, the, the article that you're reading, Julia, is basically just framing a date as seduction. <laughs> Well, it's framing a particular kind of date, like a date where basically, like, the man is in control. And yeah. the fact that men can't have dates like that is emasculating in some way. It's making them less manly. I just think seduction is really overstating it. I think it's like <laughs> guy with a shitty flirting game throws money at the situation. Yeah, well, no, just like the author of this yeah. particular book was, like, talking about how things that, like, once he stood up... Uh, when a woman left the table at dinner and everybody just like looked at him dumbfounded you know just like i think yeah i would too (laughs) i think there's a i think there's a there's a question that we could pose of is seduction inherently coercive or is is it a problem to frame it that like which which comes first which comes first where it's seduction and it's not coercive then there's a better word for it whether it's yeah, flirting but, yeah, but or... Yeah, but that is... A, but see, that's my question, though. That's assuming... But in that situation, you're assuming that seduction is inherently coercive. I suppose I am. Because if it's not coercive, then I wouldn't call it seduction. <laughs> like Because... Yo, but like that's... See, I don't come from that same place. Like, I don't assume that seduction is inherently coercive. Not even coercive, but manipulative, at least. I don't... I don't think it has to be. I understand Cynical? why... No, I don't think so. So what's the difference between like seducing someone and romancing someone? Yeah. Just like, a different word choice. Romance yeah. is something that happens like within established relationships, basically, right? But but can seducing not exist within established relationships? because no, you're already in an established relationship. So? <laughs> like, you don't have to buy the cow again. I'm so? getting so lost. <laughs> Like the seduction is the process of buying the cow, right? See, I did, and I no. See, well, you define it that way. I, I think I do. Yeah, save me, Oxford English hey, listeners. How do you define seduction? <laughs> Please tell us in the comments below because this is—I don't know what's happening anymore. Seduction definition: to entice somebody into sexual activity. Yo, hmm. let's just close out the segment. I want you to give me your favorite seductress <laughs> from media. Julia, go. Favorite seductress from media. Uh, definitely Shay from Game of Thrones, who, who seduces oh people by nagging at them and yelling and talking about... <laughs> um, God, I don't know. Um, I have to go for some kind of, like, Ivana Humsalat from Austin Powers. Definitely. <laughs> she, like, got lipstick all over a chess piece. It was really gross. Yeah. Okay. All right, Gretchen, do you have a favorite? 
Um, I can't think of anything right now. Yeah. All right, I will close with mine then. Zenya on a top from Goldeneye. <laughs> well, that's exactly what I, Ivana Humphalov was based off. Yeah, I think. she's sp- well, yeah, because it's the same exact thing. Yeah. But like Zenya was not only seductress, but then she killed people with her thighs <laughs> and while well, making like really oh, disturbing yeah, sounds. Right. Yeah. Yeah, she it's Jensen. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Uh, we're going to go into our last segment, which is going to be on foreshadowing versus shotgun awe. But yeah, that's an, that's an interesting debate between two linguists, and I'm just sitting here like, I, I don't know. Hi. Hello. I'm Hector the Well-Endowed. You've got a bunch of pegasi. Let's make a deal. To close out this podcast, uh, we actually had a different segment planned, but then before we started recording, we were talking about, what, Steven Universe probably? Probably. Yeah, yeah yep. we talked about how you're not supposed to compare Steven Universe to... Avatar the Last Airbender. Yeah. And somehow that <laughs> got into shock and awe. I don't know. Apparently it really rubs people in the fandom the wrong way <laughs> if you say that it's a show of on par quality which i think is crazy like i i would say steven universe is easily on par in terms of quality they're very different um types of shows yeah like i think importance of being earnest is comparable in quality to hamlet that doesn't mean they're comparable in any other way (laughs) right exactly but i think i think that's so strange like think about the just the character work that steven universe has done how could you yeah i mean it's not as good of an action show (laughs) Anyway, that did get us um, to thinking, though, because we were talking about sort of like maybe part of that perception is because of those quote unquote filler episodes, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah. what Gretchen said to that was uh, essentially, you know, even those episodes that are filler, they serve a larger narrative purpose. And what Steven Universe excels at is really making you think this is just a silly episode and then they're secretly seeding stuff in. Like, um, like cat fingers. What, what was it, Gretchen? Uh, Sadie's song, you said. Yep. Yeah. There yep. is, like, foreshadowing in that? Oh, there's major foreshadowing all over Sadie's song. And, like, ostensibly, that's just, like, a that's a towny episode about, like, a um, a music festival. And, like, the main character, the main focus of the episode is Sadie. Yeah. Like. And her relationship to her mom. Yeah. Right. Gee. Oh, there's a <laughs> yeah. character who like I wonder if this is saying something about like expectations and how they can be a little too much for a person. Wait right. A second. And, and how parents can have certain ideas about what they want their kids to be and do mm-hmm. and the kids decide that they want to resist and rebel and do something different and be themselves instead of the <laughs> Gee, I wonder. Anyway. Well, Rebecca yeah. Sugar said something to the effect of I think twists are good when the audience can see them coming mm-hmm. because it means that they've been foreshadowed. Like it, it makes them feel clever for paying attention. Yeah. We talk right. about that a lot. Like George R. R. Martin said something very similar about how shocks and twists have to proceed from characterization. Yeah. Right. It's easy to do yeah. something that's shocking for the sake of being shocking, but you need it to be born from something. I mean, so like, like a really good twist is one that you see coming in retrospect. It's like so, fucking right. obvious. You know, Ned Stark getting yeah. beheaded at the end of the first book is fantastic as a shock because it's, you know, it's subverting genre expectations. But when you read the books, like the writing's really on the wall there. Yeah. Right. I mean, the first time we meet dead Ned outside of like, like Ned, he's beheading someone. Mm-hmm. And then like his very night, ne- like his first POV chapter, he's literally in the crypts among the dead and like, 
Robert makes a joke about like, haha, all you Starks in the land of the dead. And like, yeah, it's like, it's everywhere. And like, like the whole they Caesar's find a dead wolf. moment about like how every time a Stark goes south to answer King's call, he ends up dead. And just, yep. Yep. Yeah. Gee. Yeah. Oh my God. This just made me angry at season seven all over again. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, we don't really make a secret of the fact that we feel Game of Thrones is very shock first writing where they would just do things to shock the audience. So like, it was shocking when Arya appeared, you know, a continent away from where she had been and had killed two people off screen. And she baked said them in she pies was going to someone. Is that enough for you? Right. Like, that was shocking, <laughs> though. That she had been living as, as Walder Frey for, like, two <laughs> weeks or something. That's yeah. Wasn't episode. that part of it? That's the next episode. She she uh, kills him in, in the episode we're describing, and uh-huh. then she takes his face and lives with him for two weeks. <laughs> It was okay. also shocking when uh, Casterly Rock was emptied of its army because the army sprinted to Highgarden in under a week. Right. Like, wow, that was a surprise. But, like, we didn't have any ability to see that coming because you didn't give us any information. Or in the case of Stannis burning Shireen, the information we saw was the opposite, where yeah. Stannis was hugging and loving his daughter and saying how great she was. But, you know, flurries. <laughs> Some snowflakes fell from the sky. So what would be, like, a good example of a twist that's not Game of Thrones or related <laughs> to Song of Ice and Fire? Or well, Steven I, Universe? Or Steven Universe. I was going to say, even. yeah, because Steven Universe, I think, is is a master of... Mm, absolutely. Of, like, twists that when you look back, you're like, oh my gosh, that was so strongly telegraphed well like garnet i think the reveal of garnet being ruby and sapphire is the first one and like it's not even remotely hidden you can tell that there's you see her two gems it's just like something that you it's kind of like r plus equals j at this point like just that nobody has said it out loud yet but it's still completely obvious right and what as soon as it's said out loud Mm -hmm. you can think of all of the ways in which it was telegraphed beforehand right yeah. And it makes sense and is fitting. Do, um, do we have better examples? Not better examples. Just we go to the same damn media every time. Was there anything good, shocking that didn't happen in Steven Universe? Um, <laughs> It's hard. It is. It is difficult. I mean, Agatha Christie was really good at it. She was really good at it. Like, and then there was none has. Yes. Like, it's one of those things that's like you think should be impossible and it isn't. And... I mean, uh, yeah. The murder of Roger Ackroyd is my personal favorite Agatha Christie story. I mean, I'm still a big fan of The Mysterious Affair of Styles, which was her first novel. Um, right. Yep. No but yeah, spoilers. Murder of Roger Ackroyd was, was one of the few Agatha Christie novels that, like, I didn't see it coming as I was reading it. But as soon as I got to the end, I was like, oh, of course. Of course. That makes – yeah, it was great. I can't give spo- – like, that is one of the few books that I won't give spoilers because – it. it you, yeah. It really does change the way you read the novel. You really can't, like, give spoilers for Agatha Christie. No. Right. Like, you you have to experience that for the first time. Um, Evil Under the Sun, I remember that freaking me out mm-hmm. a bit. And, like, Murder on the Orient Express, everybody knows the answer to that Everyone one. knows it, but, but yeah. Uh, yeah. And that book isn't very well written. I reread it recently. It's weird. No, it's, it's, structured it's not very, one of her best. It's structured very oddly. Yeah. It's interesting that that was, like arguably the one she's most known for yeah, if well, not it's, and it's, then there and then there were none is probably yeah like the thing that those two have in common is that they have like very large casts 
so you can have a star-studded extravaganza. But um, what were we talking about? Shocks? <laughs> does anyone else do shocks well, I think is what we're saying. Well, who else that's not Game of Thrones does shocks badly? Let's just be negative. I mean, like, Infinity War was really bad <laughs> with that. Is that a right. shock? Um, Like, the Soul Stone thing, I think, was supposed to be shocking that Thanos went ahead and did that, mm. I think. I don't know. It was presented like a shock, but it, it wasn't. It was, like, the most obvious thing. Yeah. Right, that he would kill her. Yeah. What mm-hmm. do we think about Alex's death and Lost, speaking of that exact thing? Mm. <laughs> I don't... What season was that? Oh, Three, that was four? shocking, but it was... No, it was... Four? Maybe I only watched, three. Maybe I only watched three. the first season. So, okay, so like Shannon was a shocking death too. I will say, yeah. But that seemed to serve a purpose for other storylines. Not that I love fridging, but you know, it was done in the context of something. Uh, Alex, I don't fucking know what that was. That was just bad. Yeah, it's been a while but- since I've had to think about that. Mm-hmm. I would say one of the few times where. A shocking reveal worked was Star Wars. Was it with Darth Vader? With Darth Vader being Luke's father. Yeah, but that's, that was pretty that happened shocking. like before we were born. It's kind of right, hard but to that's appreciate. one of the few like examples that I could think of where mm-hmm. a reveal wasn't really set up very well. Like apparently, something I learned uh, very recently was that the end of King Lear was a shock because apparently this was a well-known story, but in all the other versions, Cordelia lives. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, while we're on Star Wars shocks, when you first saw Force Awakens and Han went, Ben, did you have any reaction? No. I don't I think I was sure shocked. That- I wouldn't say that I knew it was coming, but I wasn't shocked. Which I think is means that right. it was good. Right. right. So here's, here's, I guess, when we can talk about the meat of this. Why right. is it that we are sort of adverse to just shocks over foreshadowing where maybe we could predict it like i can guess that Han was dying you know yeah but isn't it good to like not know what's coming like i knew han was gonna die in force awakens because you were spoiled or because you were genre savvy no just like as it was going on i was like oh he's he's gonna die (laughs) just the way everyone was talking to him but i didn't think that like detracted from anything in fact i was kind of happy that i had that feeling going into it so i'm i'm a huge fan for foreshadowing i love going back and seeing foreshadowing i missed Mm -hmm. right but why why is that interesting to us to my what i i it was what you just said i like foreshadowing because it allows for rewatchability and re-engagement in a new way yeah yeah it means that like i can watch a piece of media, get to whatever that big reveal is, and go back and and see all of the pieces that were laid beforehand and then how they fit together. And that creates a new viewing experience for me or reading experience for me. It's Now I get to re-engage with something that I enjoyed in a new way a second time around, and that's what I enjoy about it is because it it allows for re-engagement. Yeah. And I think that, like, you know, creating that kind of middle ground between, like, you know, something coming out of the blue and suddenly being a shock takes so much more skill. Right. You know, like, like you know, we talk about the tone that is created before the Red Wedding, where you have this, like, mm. kind of building sense of discomfort and doom. But that doesn't mean you're expecting everyone to die. You know? Right. But like, right. when it happens, you're just like, yeah, that made sense. Right? 
Right. As right. opposed to like just, you know, somebody jump scaring you and like shooting you in the face. Like, okay, I guess that was shocking and surprising. I didn't see that coming. I will say, I think that's actually one of the things that on our Game of Thrones rewatch we're noticing the most is that it's not really so much there in the show. Granted, they don't have as much time Mm -hmm. as like Martin had to foreshadow in the books. But what I'm saying is things feel a little bit emptier because Mm -hmm. it's just those pieces that built to everything kind of were rushed or altered in just enough of a way. Um, You know, Ned dying even just didn't seem to have that same gravitas Mm -hmm. that it did in the books. And certainly for the Red Wedding, the pieces that they're building, like... It becomes about Talisa, and then the way of keeping it shocking was that the episode of the Red Wedding, D&D scripted this weird scene where Rob and Kat planted Storm Castle Rock, and well, that's their next battle. Very easy. <laughs> They're like, after this wedding, we're going to take Castle Rock. Okay. And that's how they like tried to really twist the knife with that, you know, or or put the pregnant woman there and have her get stabbed in the stomach, because that's what we wanted to see. Thank you, David Nutter. Mm. Um... But yeah, I think you're right that it is like this delicate balance. Yeah. And it what I like about it is that it, it reveals so much author intentionality yeah. and that they're putting mm. so much thought into it. So it kind of is like, yeah, you investing time and engaging in this media was a good call because they give a shit. And right. like kind of conversely, like what all you care about is the shocks. It's That's easy to do because you just like withhold information. <laughs> Right? Or you like do right. the opposite. You know, like you yeah. have this entire scene where Ilaria Sand is super nice to Larry and says that she forgives <laughs> him and then the next scene she kills him. Like, okay, fine, that's shocking, I guess. Or she kills herself, whatever. That's shocking, I guess, but like what it's not whatever, Julia. That was like <laughs> Well, that makes it even worse because she didn't even kill him. But yeah, like- yeah, the scene right before she's telling him we don't choose whom we love, and then the scene after that she's killing his daughter. Yeah. yeah. Right. It requires so much more skill mm-hmm. to lay groundwork in a su- to lay groundwork in such a way that the that the pieces are there if people pick up on them and definitely there in hindsight. Yeah. Like that is a, that is a skillful ability. And I'm going to say something maybe a little bit controversial. Yes. But to that extent and to that effect, I don't think anything any piece of media including a song of ice and fire is as successful as this as Steven Universe. Oh, I agree. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Like, I, I love A Song of Ice and Fire, and I think that Martin is up there Yeah. in terms of, like, people who are masters of foreshadowing. But I even I don't think he can touch Sugar in the Crewniverse. Like, I think that they... It's like, literally, like, Bo and I have this ongoing joke that everything is foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because, I mean... It is. It is. It is. <laughs> Literally, everything is foreshadowing, but it doesn't feel that way. Like, you're not watching it going like, oh, all of this is building to something, I wonder what. You just enjoy an episode, and then you re- like you get a big reveal moment, and then you go back and you're like, really? That random thing that happened in the background was foreshadowing? <laughs> that, like, I was like, oh, cool, that character's doing that thing. Interesting. And moved on. Like, that was for... Like, oh, my... Yeah. But, like, animation as a medium it has to be so deliberate, right? Yeah, right. Right. I think part of the other aspect for me is that, um, as someone who, like, I tend towards pattern finding anyway, that's just part of my, I guess, personality and cognition, if you want to say. Huh? It's systems thinking. That's like the hallmark of INFJ-ness. Right. Yeah. Like that kind of like, I like pattern finding. And so, 
reading or interacting with media that um, caters to that aspect of my thinking process is really satisfying. Yeah. And I will say that's why I got so sucked into Lost for so long, because the mystery of what the island was and those logistics, not so much as Alex going to get shot in the face right mm-hmm. now. That um, was a part that I had so much fun trying to figure out. Uh, it I, just turned out that... Yeah, there's a lot of I foreshadowing, was, but it just wasn't foreshadowing anything. It wasn't foreshadowing anything, and it all meant nothing, so fuck you for wasting your time with it. I actually should have been focusing on the character moments, like Adam, Alex were, getting shot like, in the face. characters all sucked. I know! Right, right. <laughs> Right. And what, and what I love about what both Steven Universe and I think A Song of Ice and Fire do is that they both find a way to make both of those satisfying. Like it is satisfying on a character level because mm-hmm. you get to see the characters interact, but it is also satisfying on that pattern finding level. And it is – to me, it is rare that any piece of media does both of those things well at the same time. Yeah, I agree um, with that. But yeah, like I, part of it, I know that part of it is just personal preference. Like I just oh, totally. find, get a lot of satisfaction when media like caters to that like pattern finding impulse that I have. And like I told, I love Legend of Korra dearly, but I can admit that like there was barely any foreshadowing throughout that show. It's no. just that was not its strong suit or its focus at all. And that's fine. And I think part of that is too because Bright kind of let themselves like not really have everything all the way figured out yeah but, uh, yeah absolutely steven universe like i the reason i haven't been getting into it as much as you and Bo has in terms of like trying to theory craft and stuff is just because fandom dialogue has sometimes exhausted me uh but yeah. right now i'm doing a watch through of like the plot heavy adventure time episodes and mm. after that i think the next thing i'm gonna do is go back and do a full rewatch of steven universe because it's really it's really worth it yeah oh yeah you never mentioned Sherlock, though, Gretchen. Oh, right, yeah. I kept on trying to give you ins to mention Sherlock. I know, I saw you set that up. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. It's I okay. have a lot of very strong feelings about why Sherlock is bad. <laughs> one of them one of them being how bad it is at, like, for a mystery show. Mm-hmm. Like, part of the whole, to me, part of the whole point of, like, and it, this is makes sense with Agatha Christie, part of the whole point of, like, a mystery book or show is that, the audience should be able to piece it together themselves if they're paying attention. Um, that's part of the satisfaction of reading a mystery story is that like the author plants clues and the detective, like you as well as the detect, whoever the detective is are trying to put the pieces together and see how they fit. That's part of it. That's just like a genre convention. And what bugs the shit out of me with Sherlock, the BBC show Sherlock is that it just refused to do that like refused to give people clues and you would literally watch a whole episode of sherlock and you would reach the end and it would just be sherlock being like look how clever i am because i received this this piece of data or whatever (laughs) off screen someone handed me the clues and now i put it all together and look how smart i am i'm like well but i don't care how smart you are i want to be able to see if i can figure it out too, but I can't figure it out if you don't give me clues. Carry yourself with the confidence of a mediocre white man, Gretchen. Ugh. Yeah, I don't. I don't like Sherlock <laughs> because because like it because it like it refused to give the audience the ability to try and figure things out because somehow the audience figuring things out would make Sherlock less clever. Yeah, that's kind of 
what is wrong with the shock formula, I think. Like, right. It doesn't trust its audience to appreciate what you're doing. Or maybe the writer themselves doesn't trust themselves to write well enough to have their work still be worthwhile if the person already figures it out. Right. If the reader already knows what's going to happen. Right. And it, I think – and maybe we can talk about this some other time um, because we are getting <laughs> yeah, towards we'll, the end we'll of time. But I, am, but I am curious about whether or not – like which came first. Like is it because audiences are too genre savvy mm -hmm. or is it because audiences have been raised in an environment where if they figure it out, they assume that the writing is bad? Yeah. You know? Like which is it? Is it because like audiences expect to not be able to figure it out or is it – I don't know. Like I think that's an interesting – question because yeah you have the people in game of thrones who are like well r plus l equals j is too obvious you're like what yeah so what? no i i completely it's it's interesting because i think what it is is that genuinely like shocking media that was done well i think gets positive reactions but people misassign that as being shock for the sake of shock yeah so game of thrones right now part of the reason it's so bad is because it's just chasing more and more red wedding reaction video kind of things you know yeah like so i think it's just oh the audience was surprised we just need to surprise them more and there are people that will be like oh i didn't see it coming it was good like uh right that the de okay. yeah the definition of good is i was unable to predict mm -hmm. this being the outcome and with Game of Thrones, the pattern is they do something successfully successfully once, and then they spend the rest of the show's run vainly trying to do it successfully again. So <laughs> you're not wrong. <laughs> All right. Well, let us know in the comments what you think if we have just too much of a weird boner for foreshadowing for your reason. <laughs> and also for just talking about Game of Thrones. All of that. Tell us your favorite shock moment and tell us how you define seduction. Oh, please. Even oh, though the OED has told me. And enticing is en – entice means coerce, right? Not no. necessarily. No, if something's enticing, like, like, well, if something enticing entices you, like, 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 you know, the, the chocolate cake entices me. I know I shouldn't eat the chocolate cake because, right? Like, I went on a date with someone I was kind of mad on because she wanted to get ice cream, but that was still enticing. Yeah, so the ice cream tricked you into going on a date. I guess that was her seduction. <laughs> Didn't work. <laughs> All right, we've got. <laughs> um thank you guys for listening to us please uh leave us a review or a rating in whatever podcast app you listen to us uh don't forget to check out the fundamentals.com for all that fundamentally sound venom analysis and yeah in general just thank you for putting up these rambles and apparently being excited enough about it that you would want a shout out for subscribing to fundamentals plus on our podcast feed so yay thanks everyone yeah, thank you guys. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. 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 You both fall back exhausted, but still entwined. Okay, great. I stroke her hair lovingly and spoon her for the appropriate amount of time before leaving. How long is that?